0: Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that would change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. The
1: subject I've been giving is contending in prayer, and I'm sort of more or less calling it fight fight, fight, Fight the Good Fight of Faith. Um, there's a lot going on around this church. Uh, Hearts on Fire was really quite an interesting night with a lot of battles going on, I thought. It was very, very, excuse me, very, very good. But at the same time, people were, in my view, having a certain amount of oppression come on them. And that's what I felt anyway. All right. So it's one thing. Um, So talking about contending is a a really good thing uh, here for encounter at this time. Uh, there's a lot going on around here and if we contend in a good way and if, if, if we grow in Christ in a good way it won't only impact our lives it will impact the life of Pro- Prospect and Adelaide and Melbourne as well yes. yeah. and Melbourne needs a lot of kingdom of God in it that's because I barrack for some other side you're supposed to laugh so <laughs> alright thank you um, <laughs> When you've got a, a church with new leaders, like in Hospo last week, there was a new leader. Uh, on sound, there was a new leader. On drums, there was a new leader. And it goes on and on and on and on like that. The people who have led someone up singing for the first time today, baptisms next week, there is going to be spiritual warfare. There's no doubt about it. Uh, new churches bring it on anyway, because probably most churches in this suburb, have been sent to sleep by the demonic forces anyway, and that's what I'm going to get into in a minute, so screw yourself to your seat. Um, <clears throat> and the demonic forces don't mind having a church that's either split or quiet and not doing anything or doesn't believe in the, in the miraculous or the kingdom of God or the coming in of the, of the kingdom of Jesus. So seeing as this church is going somewhere, uh, it's no wonder we're in the middle of a, a fight, and I believe that we are too and it is spiritual warfare, Jem uh, Woodhouse, I don't think Jem's here today, is she? I don't think I've seen Jem. Her grandfather was another pastor and he pushed me into uh, uh, sort of this whole victory in Christ uh, type of ministry. And so I went off to this, this weekend, or it was actually a week in this area of praying in the spirit for release from anything that might be demonic. Now, I think I'm a relatively normal person uh, at this stage, I'd been captain of a football side. I'd been a prefect at school. I'd been a senior student at Bible College. I'd been the chair of, of the um, of uh, Park and Wesley Council. So, you know what I mean? I must have been reasonably normal, all right? So I'd go off to this school. I was in my first year of ministry at Port Wakefield with Neva, and she was uh, pregnant with our eldest lad, Todd. I'd go off to this ministry school for a week, and up until that time... Even though I was such a clever person and such a good sportsman, I found preaching well nigh impossible, all right? So on Saturday night, Neva would have to sit me down because she's a methodological person and say, well, what do you really want to say and type it out for me? Now, isn't it embarrassing for a preacher to have to tell you that? But I'm just telling you because it's the facts. I'm giving you the facts here, all right? Anyway, at that particular school, they prayed for me and they prayed against a particular spirit which was not from my generation, not from my parents' generation, but it had come from my great parents' generation, and it had come from a man who was a pastor as well, and not a very nice man at that, okay? And they prayed against this particular spirit. I went home the next Saturday after that. I played cricket. I made 113 runs in a one-day match. So I'm getting better and better in my own estimation now, but that's the truth. And it was a one day match, and I was sitting in the bath that night. And I said to Neva, I never finished my sermons till the morning anyway, so that's pretty, <laughs> brings stress on myself. But I said to Neva, I don't feel that feeling anymore. And from that time until now, uh, Neva wouldn't know what I'm about to preach on unless I'd, she asked me and I'd give her some details. I've always done it myself. So I'm telling you that oppressive things, even if you're socially a relatively up there person you can have things in your life not that you put there yourself but come through familial things family or something or other that can actually stop you from having the ministry that God wants you to have is that fair enough that's my experience and because that happened to me uh, I thought to myself self I've got to talk about this from time to time or otherwise I'm not being true to who Jesus is and I'm not letting people know enough about what demonic things can do to you all right so that's where I'm coming from tonight. And my aim is to actually pray for a few of you folks in that area. And probably the more together folks sitting in front of me, not the less together ones. Although you're all together anyway, so it could be any of you. All right? Um, <laughs> we've just got to even things out there too. But some folk who are, are really together can still be oppressed by an evil spirit. Um, so we need to contend in prayer for each other. Now, I'm going to quote a good Lutheran. Now, Lutherans are always serious. Excuse me for you. Lutherans are in front of me now. Uh, and in America, there's a guy called Tim Keller, who's a, a, an American Lutheran pastor. He's very intellectual, uh, and he's in New York, So and he's got a church in an area which is very trendy because they all go to the movies and stuff in New York, like Michael, you know. Um, LAUGHTER and they're very cool, but he actually has a biblical, basic biblical doctrines, including the ones about oppression through uh, spiritual activities. So I'm quoting him here. Right? I think he's got a really good illustration at the end of this. Tim Keller says, I use the reasonably accurate term, deliverance, because the defining distinct, distinction of this ministry is to deliver Christians of all evil spirits. So that's the aim. This is what he's talking about here. Demons take up residency and to a greater or lesser extent take over functions of the human heart. As squatters in the soul, they exert the power of behind-the-scenes government over people's lives. Can you understand that so far? And then he uses this metaphor. We could use the metaphor of the human personality as a computer hard disk with demons acting as computer viruses. These viruses can override and corrupt sectors of the hard disk executing their own commands within those sectors. Such demons must be removed. So the casting out of demons method is vital, is a vital protective software that we need to use. Does that make sense? So what we're doing this afternoon in terms of praying for each other is actually a vital software to protect who we are and allow us to develop in Christ. That make, So we contend for each other, all right? Timothy was a young guy, all right, in ministry. So we're going to use that particular sec- section, which I haven't put up on the thing here, which is two Tim- 1 Timothy chapter 6. So if you want to look at it on your phones, look at that, because I'm going to keep preaching now, all right? It's up here, all right? So uh, Paul's talking to Timothy. Now, Timothy, when Paul first met him, if you read the book of Acts, he was just a young guy, maybe 14 to 16, And Paul probably stayed with his mother and his grandmother, and they were Jewish people in Lystra, all right? But uh, Timothy's father was actually a Greek person. So Timothy was this young Christian with a Jewish mother and a Greek father who was about 14 to 16, who already was exhibiting really, really good Christ-like qualities in terms of leadership and what he was doing, all right? So Timothy is that sort of a guy, and uh, if you listen to Michael last week, he was talking about the way in which we look at the whole effect of culture on us. Uh, he was, Timothy, because of his background, his mum and his dad and his faith, was actually a really great cultural protege for, for Paul to take with him on his missionary journeys. And Paul wants to take him everywhere. But he also wants him to be in churches, nurturing churches. So that was just the thing that Paul had to really deal with. But Paul's worry for Timothy, and I think we in this congregation are a bit the same here, his worry was that Timothy was actually a quiet person and could be quite daunted at times. Now, I don't know whether you feel like you're a bit like that. So, Paul can see just the ability of this guy. He can see the way in which he can be used culturally in a lot of different settings in in the Greek culture and the Jewish culture and other cultures as well and he, he knows that he's a good leader, but at the same time, the guy is very quiet. As well as that, when he sends him off to Ephesus, where he writes his letter to Timothy, Timothy was probably a young man still, because back in those days, Timothy was probably in his mid-30s when Paul wrote to him, but if you look at Irena, an early Christian father, a young person was anyone who was of army age between 16 and 40. So when I'm preaching to you guys, I'm preaching to a whole lot of Timothys, you know what I mean? so what i 'm saying is very relevant to you you 're also really good leaders you you guys are brilliant actually you know i 've been in a lot of churches, and I know brilliance when I see it and you 're brilliant So the other thing that Timothy was daunted about at Ephesus was if you read the Acts of the Apostles about what happened when Paul was in in, in uh, Ephesus, it was a huge move of the Spirit of God. So Paul says, They've got problems down here. You go down there, Timothy, and you sort them out. So you've got this young guy who hasn't got a very high opinion of himself and is quite quiet, but who has got huge leadership abilities on him, going to a city with a really strong church that's got some problems and being told by Paul to sort them out. So that was him. He, he just had this thing in his mind I'm quiet. And as well as that, this church is fast and furious in some ways. And here I am trying to lead it. Paul calls him a man of God. And by man of God, he means man of God a la Old Testament. You know, a man of God comes up and prophesies, you know, that sort of stuff. And he does it deliberately. And I'm telling you, you're men man and women of God. So you guys are actually men and women of God, which means that you have that prophetic edge to you, which means that you are actually more than just one culture, but you're across all cultures and you can see into cultures through the Spirit and in that sense you can prophesy into cultures. That's what we're here to do and that's why we need to be released from Spirit, some of us, all right, so we can actually get on and do it. So, uh, Paul tells Timothy that that's who he is, and I'm telling you that's who we are, I believe. So, now I'll move on to the first of my three points, which is what contending means contend in prayer. All right. I've had a long, hard look at that all week uh, because it's fairly confrontational. The word is quite a a strong word. So, my own uh, definition of it is that it means to, to be sharp. to be alive, to be confrontational in either a good way or a bad way. So it's people that are banging into it, all right? And, and that's what uh, contending really means, especially in the Old Testament. In the Greek New Testament, it refers to the inner excitement and also irritation leading to onward action. So uh, in Luke 13, verse 24, Jesus tells us to make... Every effort to enter through the narrow door, make every contention, do everything that you possibly can and contend to get in through the narrow door. Does that make sense? Alright So we are contending to get in By the way When you go through the narrow door You know You see these pictures Of a little narrow door With a little dark thing With leaves growing all over it And then they open the door And they go in through This dark hole That, That is absolute rubbish When you go through The narrow door The kingdom have got it there It's light There's rainbows There's trees growing There's spirituality You know what I mean Once you get through The narrow door Then you enter into Eternal life now In the kingdom So don't worry about Getting through the narrow door Just contend to get through there Because on the other side it's really really fun and it's very very bright contending means that in actual facts we as Christians need to be prayerful faith orientated uh, contending and then that leads into productive being productive Genesis chapter 18 is about uh, an angel coming to talk to Abraham and Abraham contends with him now by contend there it is uh, the angel says i'm going to go down to Sodom and I'm going to destroy the place and Abraham knows that his cousin or his nephew lots down there and he says well what if there's 50 good men there uh, what is there 40 30 10 good people there He contends and actually wins over what the angels' ideas were. So to contend, we're contending in a positive way to get somewhere, to get other people out of problems in that sort of situation. Jesus contends over Peter. You read in Luke chapter 22 and verse 32, Jesus says over Peter, But he says, you're going to actually deny me. But then he goes on to say, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. In other words, Jesus could see that Peter needed some contending with so that he could actually fulfill what God had in mind for him. So contend means to listen to God and remember who we are. We are more than conquerors, the Bible says. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Now, there's a bit of a caution on contending here. There's two opposite positions in terms of contending. Some people sort of hang on to a promise and stretch every muscle to try and make it actually happen. And other people say, if God's going to do it, Jesus is sovereign, therefore we'll leave it up to him. Now, each of those examples has a problem. The one who const- person who constantly is contending often ends making the God and a God out of what they're praying for. In other words, God gets left out of the picture as they focus on something so strongly. You know, those sort of people get pretty boring after a while because you know what they're going to talk about. It's not exciting because it's not about Jesus, if you know what I mean. On the other hand, those who don't think there's any necessity to really contend in prayer, finish up actually not valuing very highly what God's calling them to because they say, oh, well, if God's going to do it, He'll do it. And we need to get the balance there. We need to be able to know God well enough to say when we pray the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth and in heaven, we actually can experience in that sense God's closeness to us, the lordship of Christ and the kingdom of God working in and through us. I think I'm a bit Christianly lucky in my old age, you know. I'm just an old man going to heaven, really. Um, but in, it's, it's the truth to say that, and I've been pretty consistent in praying every morning. I've got a pattern going that really is, makes it really easy to know God, really, in a sense. I mean, I'm not perfect. I know that. <laughs> Talk to <Niva>. Um <laughs> But I, I will say that when Jesus said to his disciples, I don't call you my servants, I call you my friends. I've got a friendship going with Jesus, which is pretty good. And I value really highly. And I think all of us can get to that stage, I think. We all get met by God in our own ways, though. So my second point is this leads on to us into the whole thing of fighting the good fight, which is in 2 Timothy chapter 6, fight the good fight of faith. And in a way, the word fight there means great exertion or effort, even in some ways agony, the word agony comes out of that. And sometimes we do, in a positive way, agonise in our prayer life. There's nothing wrong with that providing we keep going and not just sort of sit there in in our pool of tears. So it's about wrestling. It's a wrestling match. That's that's sort of the idea of fighting the good fight. In a church like ours, when you are moving towards what God wants, you'll find that there will be conflict coming your way. It's inevitable that it comes your way. When we step out to do something by faith, It often pushes us into a previously unknown fight. So for some of us, we would be feeling like there's a fight going on around us that we don't really know much about because we've never experienced before. Well, good on you. You're in a good place. But in the meantime, our minds will struggle to understand what God has told us to do. We'll doubt that. Uh, Circumstances will seem to stand in our way sometimes. Other people sometimes will oppose us as well. And the devil himself, who throws his weight against each step of faith, will actually, if we don't watch out, he'll make his mark on our lives. So Paul tells us to make every good effort in this fight. Fight the good faith. Fight of faith. And by good, it actually means exceptional. Fight the exceptional faith. Fight of faith. So each of us this evening have got an exceptional thing going on in our lives. And I'm not kidding you, that's the truth. And so the fight's on and that we need to actually keep fighting that good fight. It's a good fight. All right? I'll give you four reasons why it's a good fight. One, it's a good fight because we're knocking over evil. All right? We're on the winning side. Ultimately, we're on the winning side. Secondly, it's a good fight because we're not doing it in our own strength. Jesus is Lord. And thirdly, it's a good fight because it's not us struggling to carry a burden, but a struggle to let a burden be carried by us. Think about that for a second. We're burdened with what God has called us to do. And at one stage, in one way, it's a burden. But on the other hand, it's the most exciting thing you can ever do with your lives. And fourthly, it's always fruitful. It's a fruitful fight. So when it comes to this fighting, Paul in Timothy gives us three different applications for that One is soldiers, you know, every soldier needs to really line up with their leader And if you look at history, if you've got a really good leader, you get a really good fighting team Alexander the Great, not very large armies right through to India, right? You've got others like that We've got Jesus who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords So we've got a very good leader on our side uh, Paul talks about athletes, you know, straining every muscle to win the prize. And I'll say here that you, when you, you think of that, you may think, well, you know, everyone in this room's after the same prize. Now, Michael's a lot, he's a lot better than what we are, what I am. Therefore, he's going to get the prize so I won't try. The, the, wrong, think, the wrong thinking is there, Michael's not, no, he is as good as what you think he is. Um, the wrong thinking is, is that each one of us has our own prize, which we're actually fighting towards, specifically tailor-made for each one of us so that you don't actually have to beat anyone at all. All you have to do is actually hold to what Jesus has called you to do and the prize will be there. You will be empowered to get your prize. It's not someone else's prize, it's your prize. And so we need to continue to fight in that direction. The third thing that Paul talks about is farmers and farmers who work hard are always fruitful. Christians who consistently fight the good fight are fruitful. My third point is that the fight is always successful. Now, one big aspect of this whole thing of of spiritual warfare and fighting is the fact that we fight together. I'll just quote quickly, James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayers of a righteous person is powerful in its effect. When we're together as righteous people, camaraderie takes over and the power of God falls on us. All right. And things then happen. So we're doing it together. And uh, my final little point here is we need to take up the whole armour of God. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20, we hear Paul uh, saying to the church in Ephesus, Finally, be strong in the Lord in his mighty power, Put on all the armour of God so that you, make, uh, so that you can take, take your stand against the devil's devices. Now, in, in actual facts, if you look at the Greek word for devil, it's actually a verb. And the, the verb means to lie and to slander. So... Wherever you get lies and slanders, you've got the devil. Is that fair enough? Because that's the way he works. Um, And if we're not sort of broad enough in our thinking to understand that, well, then I think we need to think again because a lot of the world actually believes in this sort of stuff. It's, It's actually probably a minority of people who sort of pull back from it and we've got to really understand what's going on to allow our society to be as fruitful as what it needs to be. Paul goes on for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers and against the authorities against the powers of of this dark world against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms therefore put on the whole armour of God. Now I after being through what I've been through and and just seeing the end of a a demonic spirit in my own life uh, take this thing this section pretty seriously uh, that and Paul goes on to talk about the helmet of salvation, which is over a which is wholeness. You know, when you go to bed, Jesus, give me sal- let me a salvation flow through me. Give me a head that's full of your wholeness. Let me be at peace. You know what I mean? A chest plate of righteousness, Jesus. You, I've got a right relationship with God because of you. It's not my own. It's what I've been given through what you've done at Easter. So I go to bed saying thank you, Jesus, and I'm going to have right relationships upward with you and have right relationships out with with other people as well. The belt of truth, I mean, we need to look at the truth and strap ourselves up with it. You know, R.M. Williams' belt, you know, the best sort of thing. Strap ourselves up tight in the truth. Don't be frightened to confront the truth in your own life or the lives of others because Jesus says, my truth, his truth will always set us free. Don't avoid it, but find freedom by confronting it. Uh, the good news on our feet of salvation. Some of you are really good at sharing your faith. God bless you. Okay. That's really terrific. And we need to just learn more and more to get excited about uh, just who Jesus is and what he's doing. The shield of faith. Now, fiery darts are the evil one, you know. Faith in Christ uh, is, the, the, is the answer in that area, in Jesus' name. All right. The sword of the Spirit, which brings God's special word for us. And then Paul says finally, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Now, I don't know whether behind me we can have that picture of the fireman. That's really, that's really the church. That's our, us as a church, right? We're together. We corporately fight, all right? Somebody's on the end of that hose pointing the f- hose at the fire. We could stand there and say, this fire is too big. It's too dawning. I can't do anything about it and just move away. Or we can have the courage to pick up the hose and allow the water to flow through the hose and start fighting the fire. Jesus will win the battle, but if we pull back and don't pick up the hose, if we don't pick up what God's doing by faith, well then how can he win? You know what I mean? We need to pick it up and get on with it. That's the first thing I want to say in in finishing here. The second thing is in terms of, of spirituality and evil spirits, there is the oppressed, which some of us would be at times, and as you get more mature in the faith you can tell when something is actually demonic happening and what's not I mean I'm not not always absolutely sure but often I am in my own life and the lives of others there's a press which people can get there's obsessed people who become obsessed with which I don't think any of us are and there is the possessed which I know none of us are but some of us are oppressed we're even oppressed this evening So when we actually deal with this sort of stuff, I think the easiest way is to actually do it like this. And I'm hoping I can do it with some folk after I've finished speaking tonight, along with Mike and the other elders. Um, I think we need to confess to each other that we need something from God. Then we need to actually have absolution. We need to have somebody else say, look, you're washed clean. That's what Jesus has done for you. far as the east is from the west, you know, uh, that sort of thing. Then we need to have prayers of deliverance where all you just say in Jesus' name and if you can actually pick what is going on, I bind you and command you to leave now. Is that fair enough? And then you actually ask the Holy Spirit to fill that area of person's life again. So tonight at the end of this service, Mike, do you want to come up and finish this? At the end of what I'm going to say now, don't actually miss out tonight on viral protection software from Jesus. Amen.
0: Contending in prayer, pressing in to what Jesus has already claimed for us. It, this, is, this is a time now, encounter, where we, where we get to take a moment to really make a choice for ourselves to go, do I have the courage to open up and say, God, what do you need to shatter in my life? What do you need to break through? What do you need to pull apart? What do you need to heal? Or do I want to sit in comfort? I was I was listening to somebody preach recently, and he, and he made the point that we don't ever do anything in ministry to stop being lukewarm, because we don't need to. Lukewarm is the natural tendency of all of us. If we, you know, if you leave anything, it'll end up at room temperature. When we contend in prayer, we are pressing into the future of God's presence in our lives and generations to come. Now, one of the beautiful things you get to see as you see Brant up here and you listen to him preach and bring you the Word of God, is somebody who is further on in their journey, generations down, as people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, you now have the capacity to go, what would it look like for me to be a man who has travelled with God, a woman who has travelled with God for that long? What do I need to do to get there? What does God need to start breaking through in me? Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you're able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We'd love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.